since we last talked, Kirk, if you want to jump in and just start to share, like what, what has happened since? What has that journey been like for you and your church? I, I think a neat thing that we did was we did the three touches in three separate churches. And I think that was really a good thing in, in terms of being able to expose more people to it. As a result of that, we ended up, it was probably later on in the year, at that year, that we had our third touch that we started actually developing a team here to consistently be in the harvest. It was kind of a, a thing for us. We were grasping the principles and, you know, how do we implement it? But we, we finally had a team that began to gel. And then we have focused a lot on doing additional trainings. I think we uh, came in touch with another fellow by the name of David Lynn that really shared a vision of being able to see teams develop in every county in the state of Ohio. And I've sort of embraced that vision myself to see if we can continue to expand No Place Left into all the different counties. I think we've really focused on kind of the second field of the four fields is multiplying the seed sowing. I mean, we're finding out it takes a lot of seed sowing to get the one person a piece, but if we can multiply the seed sowing, we have a better chance of finding those people that the Lord is working in and enabling us to get into into some discovery groups and things like that. So that's that's really been our focus and our effort is multiplying seed sowing. Dave, anything you would add? I am I am cheering on what God is doing through Kirk and the teams that are surfacing from the three touch training. I encourage and I just help in any way that I can, but also focus on my own field as well. <clears throat> and the and the, you know the ministries that that God has given me, you know, both Kirk and I are pastors. So I'm an associate pastor, community outreach, and I have a, I have one foot in the church equipping one foot out of the church, wanting to catalyze movement. And, you know, part of that is, you know, finding people that are prepared by God to, to do what Kirk and his team is doing. So a lot of that was just God connecting us together and, and us laboring together as much as we can to give away the kingdom. So it's been really exciting to see what God's doing in Ohio. God really is moving. There's evidence of that. I think uh, with our team, one of the things we did, I kind of saw this on Facebook where people were putting out that 30 day challenge uh, in October to be engaged in the harvest every day. And I challenged our team to do, I know some of us did it, but it's, it's now become really lifestyle for for me and others, you know, it's just, whereas before we were still having to be intentional about setting time in our calendar. Now it's, it's really becoming a routine part of our lives, which I, I'm excited about that because it's, um, it's, again, it's lifestyle. It's not just forcing yourself to do something is now becoming almost an integral part of your life. And I praise God for that. Yeah, that's great. And that's what we'd want to see even with a a discipline like prayer, right? Like there are times we got to Right. force ourselves if we use those words to get down on our knees get some set it set aside time but we want to get to the point that it's just an integral part of life and the same goes for seed sowing that's awesome so any stories come to mind uh, as this training has continued to roll out what one thing that we're beginning to see which is really good is we're, we, we keep running into people that have already seen the three circles. Somebody's already talked to them. So I know we're getting good coverage, so to speak. I was at a I was at a house here just this past fall and I walked up to the porch. There was a husband and wife sitting out on the porch 
And I said, hey, we're in the neighborhood. We're praying for people. Can we pray for you? Sure. We prayed. And hey, I'd like to show you uh, a little drawing about how a person can have a relationship with the Lord. Oh, we've seen that already. And the guy said, you'd be amazed of how many of these pictures are hanging up on refrigerators all over the city. That was so endearing to me to hear that. Earlier this year, there was a, a young man named Nolan who was out sharing the gospel. They, they knocked on a person's a door at the house and began to share, share Christ with a, a woman who was there. And she basically came out in the midst of the conversation and said, I'm a, I'm a lesbian. And he, he wasn't really sure how to deal with that. He just basically said, well, this is, isn't right according to the word of God and kind of left it there. And they moved on. They prayed with her, you know, shared the gospel, moved on. Nothing more happened. Well, about two months later, which is just back in November, I happened to be out sharing the gospel with this guy, Nolan, and we were driving down the road. We saw a, a lady sitting up on a porch. We said, let's pull over here and go talk to this lady. So we get out of the car. As we're walking up to the house, he goes, this is that same house where that woman who was a lesbian was at. I said, well, maybe that's her up on the porch. And he goes, no, nah, I don't think that's her. So we walk up there and uh, say, hey, we're here to pray. Can we pray for you? Yes, we prayed. We shared the three circles. And she goes, you know what? My sister showed me that. Well, who's your sister? It's this other girl. She had shared the gospel with her sister. At that meeting, her brother came out on the porch. Another brother came out on the porch. The parents came out and kind of walked through, but the two brothers were there and they were asking for prayer for their lives. They were kind of falling apart in their marriages. So we ended up just you know praying with them and moving on. And then about a week later, I get a text from a woman. I never knew her name before. I said, hey, this is Melissa. So many bad things are happening in our life, and our family. We try to do something. We try to get ourselves out of a pit, but then things always come crashing down again. But you came back to my mom's house. Why did you do that? And so I called her. I said, who, who is this? And she said, this is the girl who you came to our house the other day. And she mentioned this guy, Nolan, had come there earlier in the year. And she felt like because of the conversation around the lesbian lifestyle, that there was no room for her for trying to pursue the Lord. So Nolan and I went to her house that week, met with the whole family, and this woman came over and just hugged us both. It, it seems like that what's happening is God is God is opening up her heart to to want to know Jesus, and she felt that somehow there was this barrier because of her lifestyle. But now we're telling her Jesus wants you. He's calling you. He's drawing you. Yes, he will change you, but don't let that, don't let where you are today keep you from searching and keeping this uh, heart of seeking after him. And so we've, we've established a good relationship with this family. They've come to the church a couple times already. Can, we continue to dialogue with them. And it seems like maybe this, this girl who was the lesbian is going to be the, she's like the gravity in that family. Everybody kind of looks to her, the brothers, the other sister. The mom, even the dad, she's like almost like the person of peace. So that's kind of a really neat, neat thing that we just saw happen here just, just right during the Christmas holiday. So Yeah, I think one of the lies that we get told, we listen to from the devil is that if we share the gospel, if they don't say yes fully right then, then we're going to never, like we're going to burn bridges. And that's, that's a great story that illustrates that's really not normally true. <laughs> if we are leading with caring and loving for them, and the most loving thing we can do is point them to the truth in Christ, then man, that's a great story to illustrate what God can do with that later on. So, Well, it reminds me of Mark 4, what we talk about the four, the four fields where the guy mm -hmm. plants a seed, he goes to bed, he wakes up, he goes to bed, mm -hmm. he doesn't know how, but all of a sudden you walk out there and here's these sprouts coming up. And that's, 
that's the Lord's work. Amen. Yeah, we got to sow the seed. That's good. So from either of you guys, what lessons would you say you've learned along the way, particularly as it pertains to helping existing churches engage the harvest, seek to reproduce seed sowers, reproduce disciples? Probably the biggest lesson that I've learned that gives me peace in the midst of all that we do is that we are only laborers with him. The, the God is the one at work. Jesus said, my father works and I work. And it's, you know, I think a lot of the things we talk about trying to filter for those people that God is working in, to me, I never get discouraged in the harvest. And I know that's a big issue with a lot of churches where, man, we've been planting seeds, nothing seems to happen. It's, it's really being able to say, Lord, what are you doing? And help us to be in alignment with you. But it's resting in the idea that it's not my abilities, it's not my ability to convince people or to argue them into the kingdom. It's simply to be faithful in sharing the good news and trusting that whatever is produced, we plant, we water, but it's God who gives the increase. And that's that's not within our purview or our ability to even bring life out of that. But it's amazing to see the Lord do it. And so I, I feel it's such peace in that work and such reliance upon the Lord. And probably what I want to do more than anything is to become more sensitive to say, Lord, you know, where do you want us sowing the seed and who do you want us to be speaking to? The evangelism is more about discerning where God is working than us trying to, you know, convince people. Another big lesson I learned is that as a, as a legacy church, you know, when you get the vision for something like this, you want 100% of the people to be involved in it. I guess at first I had that expectation, but I realized it's not realistic. I think in general, I hate to even say this, but you know, we've, we've sort of created a consumer church just, just because of the way we've always done things. It, it's not our intention. You know, we believe that the, the church should be a body and everybody functioning. But for all practical purposes, we have a consumer church. And the inertia can set in pretty heavily. It's, it's very difficult to get 100% involvement. So if pastors are trying to convert a legacy church to become a, you know, let's call it a no place left movement, you may find that it's within a subset of the people and, and then being able to maintain that, if you want to call it a hybrid or maybe it's a, maybe it's a, a swapping off of duties where the people who are focused on making disciples create a separate ministry and they're focused there while other elders, other pastors can continue to maintain the church and so on. And obviously you envision them and share testimonies and try to bring as many people along. but I've just also become convinced that as we've been taught through all of our training, that everything we need is in the harvest, the next leaders, the next laborers, you know, the workforce is all there. It's, it's the woman at the well, it's the demoniac. And rather than spending all of our wheels trying to convince people in the church, come out and share the gospel. They're, they're sitting out here on main street or and we just got to go find them. So it's not giving up. I think it's just coming to, a reality, you know, an actual reality of the circumstances, working with what you have, but realizing everything else is going to come out of the harvest. Kirk, it's interesting, that first lesson about, you know, partnering with God and participating in what he's doing. It's obviously his kingdom and evangelism is just seeing where God's at work and participating in that. Because really what I noted down, which I think layers on top of what you're saying is, what I've really learned is how important it is that your identity in Christ is the motivation 
to do these things. Most of the pushback that I get is people who don't like the activities, who aren't seeing it flow out of people's identity in Christ. Even when you boil it down to that very simple, you know, Second Corinthians 5, you're new and you're ambassador. Some things that I've, I've learned too is that even though you're only going to have a minority who are going to surface and want to train and want to get out in the harvest and consistently join you in doing it, that there's, uh, there's the later adopters who eventually, as you continue to just focus on being an equipping church instead of a consumer church, that, uh, that God's going to plop opportunities on their doorstep and they're going to know who to go to for help. You know, like, so, so there was one couple at, at our church and trained them, invited them to harvest, never did anything with it. All of a sudden they, they shared a picture of me of like the three circles they sketched out on a chalkboard in their, in their hallway. And they asked me, you know, to train them how, how to lead a discovery Bible study. Turns out they had a neighbor who was going through a crisis. He just started walking into their house just trying to deal with all this stuff. And they're like, I need to know how to share the gospel. And so they got trained in the three circles and they like looked it up online and they practiced and then they did it with them. And he's open for follow-up. And so came in and started training. And I found like multiple examples of that happening. And what's been really cool is that even though, you know, you kind of have your, you kind of have your team that surface that they want to train, they want to get on the harvest. They, something is unlocked that has just made this so exciting that, to see God's kingdom grow and God at work. It doesn't mean that everyone else doesn't have a heart for the lost, but that being said, it's been really cool to see how these practices and movement principles and the simple teachings of Jesus, when it flows out of your identity with Christ, that it, it, it really is massaging through the rest of the church. But let me tell you a story. Let's not include outside training, zero to one. Let's talk about you know what happened in, in the legacy church. When I first came like three years ago, we had two locations and I was at like the main location. Two locations became two churches. With some training, a, a new church was started in Bluffton. My goal was I just, I want to help us as a church be equipping churches or a family of equipping churches. The sister location that became a church was like, hey, could we help them train them, equip them and, and kind of be a, a temporary scaffold for them to help them, you know, launch as a church? Like, yeah, why not? So our church start, starts a church. That sounds good to me. Go for it, you know? And then out of that, there's another uh, group in Bluffton, just very, very basic, you know, no place left training, um, but they have caught a vision and ownership of church. And it was really interesting. It's like, no, no one else wants to call them church except them, which is awesome because they're like, we are a church. You know, let me tell you why we're a church. We are, we are committed to the Lord. We are committed to one another. And, and just to see how this, this past year, our main church, like the main campus, our attendance is lower after COVID. The other in the family of churches have either fully recovered or grown in attendance. But between the family of churches, we've had three times as many baptisms this past year than our single church has had in the past. I can't claim any of that. My, my role is I want to I wanna equip as many people as possible and coach as many people as possible. And there's evangelism happening all the time that I don't even know about. And there's disciple making and all kinds of stuff. And as you have your teams that, that do training and go on the outside, that also works in to the, to the legacy church as well. I've never found there to be a real conflict of interest between wanting to see 
multiplications of seed sowers and disciples and churches and to see a, a existing church be healthy and thrive. Uh, I just, it hasn't happened. That's awesome. Amen. Not to like, say there's not pushback sometimes. Yeah. Anything on that, like pushback at any level and just what's been helpful to overcome that. I don't get it so much from leadership. And I, I think it really goes back to what I'm learning about the importance of, you know, hammering identity in Christ, because it seems as if it's like the people that I've trained who are really running w- with it are the people that ruffle the feathers the most. Here's a practical example. One brother, oh man, I love this guy because he, God has really unlocked him to just like share the gospel like crazy. Got the privilege to see him, you know, just uh, come to Christ and get baptized and he's going for it. And so he gets a tattoo of the three circles on his forearm and he, and he shares the gospel with the person tattooing him. And he comes back to church and he shares the story. And I'm like, that's awesome. I'm not going to, I can't take it to that level, man. Did that ruffle feathers? Yeah, it did. Understandably so. Because what sometimes what happens is that motive that he had comes out of his identity in Christ. Like, I want to share this. This is the best news ever. Why wouldn't I want it on my forearm? When other people see that, they can feel guilted and guilted for the wrong reason. Like guilted, like in this comparison thing, like. Do I have to be doing that? And if I cheer someone on like that, is then is therefore the pastor saying that's what we all should be doing? And it becomes this like legalistic comparison kind of thing instead of pointing to, look, no, like if you're if if you're an ambassador and you're new in Christ, then live it out and celebrate that when you see it happening. Is there anything else on your heart? Is it what I would just ask? Just speaking from the heart of a pastor. And I share this with many pastors when I get a chance to, because your responsibilities seem to mount up. I, I was doing so many things, you know, good things, kingdom things and, and necessary things, but I had no heart, no burden, no, no thought about the Great Commission. And I just feel like, you know, I'm, I'm an older gentleman right now, and I don't know how many years I have left on the earth, but I just basically told the Lord as many years as I have left, I want to, I want to be able to say that I did your greatest work. I did what you wanted done, which is to go and make disciples of all nations. So I'm making those adjustments in my life, being more critical about what things I will do, you know, what things I keep off my calendar. So I have time every day for disciple making. I feel for me, the Lord has spoken to me. I gave you one job. And I feel like to all you pastors out there that might be considering this, ask the Lord how he can help you sort out your time, your management, your schedule, the the people you can uh, designate things to or, you know, what have you, but find the time in your heart and your life and your ministry for the Great Commission. I'll tell you, I'm more joyful. I'm more excited. I feel like my my vision has been increased. There's so much excitement in my life in the kingdom of God than it was two years ago before we began this journey. And it's, I, think, I think it's because my heart is really linked with the heart of Jesus and what he wants to do in the earth.